I'm excited to talk about my sponsors today, Gay Lisby's Million Dollar Arbitrage Group. Amazing, amazing group. This is a teacher. This is, uh, Gay was a teacher. She is a teacher still. You need to learn this is the type of uh, environment you want to be in because she's going to help you understand why. And I think that's the hardest part of this business is understanding why. Why is the red one popular when the green one isn't? Well, there's usually a reason. And what Gay does is probably parse that better than anybody, and she'll explain the reasons for those things. I think that's really powerful. Yes, she puts out a list. You're going to get, uh, get use of that list if you get in the group. Now, here's the deal. The group isn't always open, right? So you get on the waiting list, and you can join the waiting list through my link. Um, doesn't cost you anything to, to get on a waiting list. And if you uh, like her service, which I find that most people do, and that's why there's not so many openings, um, you'll be with her for a long time. And so it's amazingfreedom.com. She's part of Andy Slamet's group, amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum. And you're going to get in the waiting list. That's all I can get you on right now. You can use my name and see if that gets you anywhere. But what I like about in that, uh, what I like about what they teach in that group are the things that are going on, you know, the current things. I've seen a lot of stuff going on about stores going out of business. Well, here's where an opportunity is. Here's why you want to do this. Hey, be cautious about this, you know, with Toys R Us coming out. You got to think about this. And that's the learning that you need to do. And gay is better than anybody else I've seen. So um, amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum will get you to the waiting list. Then hopefully it can get you in the group and then you're going to see me in there and uh, we can chat anytime you're ready. Karen Locker's group, Solutions, the number four e-commerce, solutions4ecommerce.com forward slash momentum. It's going to save you 50 bucks. Karen's our account manager. We recommend her to everyone because she's done so well for us. I mean, that's quite frankly the reason we've been paying her for the last few years, but she's become an important part of our team. Her and her team are so involved in our account. I just see the emails coming back and forth. Hey, we did this for you. I just saw two listings today. And I'm like, wait a second. Why did they show up? I didn't put any listings up. They got, uh, they got uh, set off to the side by Amazon, and they reactivated them for me. You know what I mean? That's the stuff that just happens when you have a strong team, and I can't recommend Karen enough. If you use uh, my code Momentum, Karen pays me. I don't want to hide that. Of course, we all know that, but you're going to save $50, and it's a great opportunity to really, really um, build out your team with somebody you can trust. That's why I recommend them. So solutions for e-commerce, solutions, the number for e-commerce.com forward slash momentum. It's going to save you $50. Oh, and by the way, she's going to do an inventory health report. Why is that important? Well, guess what? Fees are going up. Is your inventory health number declining like ours is? Well, here's why, and here's what they can do. What I like is I get a spreadsheet from them and it says, hey, um, here's a bunch of inventory. Here's what we recommend. And I'm like, yep refund, I mean, uh, delete, uh, return to us, blah, 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 whatever it is, and it's or destroy, and it just happens. That's what I like. The other thing that I have Karen help me with a lot is creating new listings. You know, we do a lot of the research ourselves, we upload our images, and then boom, magically the listing goes live, and I don't have to worry about it. Those are the services that Karen offers. Can't recommend her enough. Solutions for ecommerce.com forward slash momentum. Save 50 bucks. Use my code you save $50 a month every single month, and it's a great service. Plus, you get that free inventory health report. I think it's a really powerful way. So I can't, uh, I'm so excited how many people have been joining her because I see it. And I'm excited because the, the messages I get from people are saying, hey, this is great. I finally feel like I can focus on something else because Karen and her team are watching this for me. And, you know, I highly recommend her.
Next up is Seller Labs and Scope. <laughs> I almost said it wrong. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it really is amazing when you sit back and think about, hey, I want to get this product up, and it's similar to this product, and that's, that product does well. Well, therefore, if that product does well, they have the right keywords. They have chosen things correctly. So guess what? You scope, and you can see all that stuff, and that's what the, the most powerful thing in the world is to copy somebody who's done it right. That's what you want to you want to take advantage of that, right? I mean, it's it's fair uh, to see, and so therefore you could take and apply it to your listing and immediately get that same benefit. That's what Scope does for me. Sellerlabs.com forward slash momentum. It's going to save you fifty dollars on the service. Oh, by the way, it's free to try. So sign up, try it, and say. Oh, this is how it's done. Boom. And then you're going to, the light's going to go on and you're going to be like, man, I can get my products out there. I just can't wait. Can't wait. Sellerlabs.com forward slash momentum. The other day I bought another domain. Yes, I bought another domain. It's almost like uh, I'm admitting guilt, but it's because I had an idea and it was something that was a pretty good idea. I think it's going to go pretty far. And so what do I do? I go to trygodaddy.com forward slash momentum and save 30%. So domains aren't very expensive. You get a few services. It adds up a little bit. And I usually buy three years. I usually buy privacy. By the way, I recommend that too. Buy that, you know, it's not that much money, but when you can save 30%, it makes it that much sweeter. And it makes it easier uh, when you're buying domains, and especially if you buy a bunch of domains. I am a domain collector, and so I do tend to do that. But that 30% makes it a lot easier. And I use GoDaddy because what I like is I can pop in an address I'm thinking, and it'll say, nope, nope, try this version or try this extension. And then, boom, there it is. Hey, you better hurry before it goes away. And they're right, you know. And so try GoDaddy.com forward slash momentum, save 30%. Also, I want to mention about Grasshopper. Who was I just talking to somebody the other day, and they were like, oh, yeah, I use this company called Grasshopper. I'm like, dude, did you buy it through my link and save 30%? Hello? No, they missed that. So save 30%. It's trygrasshopper.com forward slash momentum. No surprise there, but you're going to save 30%. And what the, the real cool part about that is they're using it for their private label business, and it gives them virtually a second phone on their current phone without having to get another number. They can make up a vanity number. They don't have to go and do all the grief and, and sign long contracts. Pretty easy stuff. And so if you're creating a brand that you want to identify, you want to look professional, you want to look like a real company, Grasshopper is a great tool. It's an app you put on your existing phone, and boom, you now have a customer service department. You now have a sales department. You now have a manufacturing division. You could forward it to somebody else. You can have it go to different voicemails, different departments, and it's all included. So try grasshopper.com forward slash momentum. Save 30%. Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products, and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Stephen Peterson. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode 313, Dean Kagan. I love talking with Dean. I love watching Dean's transformation. I'm fortunate enough to kind of have some inside track on Dean and his life in Amazon. I've been watching him for several years. We've known each other for several years now. And I finally was able to get him on 
uh, in an interview. I don't think he would have done it three years ago, um, and I think that's fair. Um, I think that's cool because it wasn't in that place. And it's not a place of success that I'm always looking for. I like the story, as you guys know. I love a story. And Dean has a good story, and his story is different today than what it was. Let's get into the episode. All right, welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. Very excited about today's guest. Uh, been chasing him for a while, trying to tame him, trying to get him to stay in one place, and it's virtually impossible. He is everywhere. Dean Kagan, welcome, Dean. Thanks, Steve. It's true. You are, you are very, and don't take offense to this. You're very intense, very focused, um, and yet you're everywhere. Is that is that kind of you? That's a pretty fair statement. Yeah, and, and, and it's not a negative. It's who you are. The thing that I appreciate about Dean is Dean is very self-aware of who he is, and he doesn't apologize for it. You're like Jason T. Smith. You're not apologizing for who you are. You're just exactly. aware of who you are. I, I think that's healthy. Instead of pretending to be somebody you're not. You agree? Oh, absolutely. I, I find that if I'm trying to be somebody that I'm not, that um, I make bad decisions. Me too. I tried to be cool a few times. It didn't work. You've met me. I'm not cool. I know it. I'm okay with that. I like that I'm not cool now. <laughs> so let's talk about Dean, though. And Dean, okay. in, you're in the Chicago area. You've been I'm here in a Chicago. Uh, is that right. where you're from? Or Yep. I was born and raised here. And um, the only difference is, you know, we, we, a lot of the people that live in Chicago, they kind of work their way out to the suburbs. Mm-hmm. But now Chicago is the suburbs, right? Somebody just told me that. They said Chicago is like one of the most expansive cities. It just gets bigger and bigger, yet there used to be nothing there. Is that, there's, is that... been, there's been a lot of transformation. Like 25 years ago, there was a lot of areas that were on the down and out. And many of those areas that were you didn't want to go to, they are now the most exclusive areas. Oh, that's funny. You know, though, I, isn't Chicago like the United States murder capital of the world or something like that, or, or murder capital of the United States? Yeah, I, I think there's been a number of burger places that uh, got their start here at some point or another. Burger? Burger. Okay. I said murder. <laughs> oh, okay. Murder. I'm sorry. See, yeah, that's, I'm not cutting that, dude. We're leaving that in. All right. This is, this is, this is how men communicate. I say burger or murder. You say burger. <laughs> right. So you didn't eat your lunch, did you? I'm cutting into no, lunchtime. I, got, am I, I not? just got my workout. Ah, see, that's what it is. You're, you got the hangry things. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. So Chicago is known for burgers. What would they be known for? What burger company would have started in Chicago? Um, well, they didn't actually start here, but um, the very first model of uh, McDonald's, you know, oh, cool. when Ray Kroc had started, mm-hmm. uh, is in a suburb uh, of Des uh, Plaines. Okay, so that was there. All right. Yeah. Any other famous burger joints there? Not that I could think of off the top okay. of my head. Not that, not that people would be familiar so with. So let's move from burgers to murders. Yeah. Murders. <laughs> to murders. But is that, I, did, I just heard that, though, that Chicago, and, and I've been to Chicago. It's stunningly beautiful. The architecture is phenomenal. Now, maybe, because I went to Northwestern for a little bit. I mean, those areas are stunning. Yes. Did I miss the bad, bad, bad? bad areas? Well, you were probably, if you went to Northwestern, you were in Evanston. Mm -hmm. So when I was in high school, when we would cut classes, that's where we would go. Uh We would go to the rocks out there and we'd, you know, go by the beach, bring our lunch. It it is a beautiful area there. As you go further south, um, there are areas that, 
are a little bit worse. And then if you go much further south, there's some very bad areas. Okay. But even, but even those are becoming rehabbed. So what happens, you know, because I think about that, um, what happens to those people that are displaced? Do they adopt the new environment or do they move and just bring their challenges elsewhere or what happens? What, what you know, you for, from my understanding, some of the, the, the there was one area uh, called Cabrini Green, which was a really oh, bad yeah. area. Yeah, I've seen and, stories um, on that. A lot of people that went from there, I think they um, built some Section 8 housing and they just made it more available to those people. Oh, uh, cool. So, so they pulled them up, hopefully pulled them out of that and maybe they're doing better. Good. I it like transitioned that. to at least a nicer environment, you know, whether or not that gives them a better employment. That's a whole other story. Right. Okay. So we went, we covered burgers and murder with two important subjects uh, when you're talking e-commerce. Right. So what was Dean going to be when he was in high school other than we already kind of give us a little hint you cut classes so uh hmm. yeah. yeah um you know i actually started uh, with a focus on accounting and what i realized that w- accounting is quite boring in my eyes hey um I, so what i did is i started to shift more to finance because i realized that the analytics were where it was at was that interesting to you the analytics were interesting um what i found when i got in the corporate world was that um, Dean Kagan and Month End Closes, they don't work together. <laughs> the pressure, is that what it is? I think it's the pressure, and I like to kind of do what I want when I want. And when you're involved in the cycle of where you have to be available for the closing, you know, all the different steps, mm-hmm. um, you need to be there on certain dates. And you can't you can't go on vacation. You can't take a day off. And then there's different other periods of the year where you have to be available. And finance was more analytical, and I found that to be more enjoyable. Okay. So the 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 lack of the structure of yes. the attendance, not the lack of structure, because the finance is finance. The math is the math, right? And not yes, like the you, math is math. You're not going to be well. You could be creative and come up with a new technique, but it's generally they've been established for a long period of time. Correct. So that piece of it you can handle is it the authority piece and is that why you're self-employed i mean is that something that when you look back you think about that that was a clue right there that yeah i've always had uh issues with authority (laughs) all along the way but um i don't know if that was necessarily the reason that i went with the analytical piece i just i found that more fascinating and i could it there was a little element of creativeness within the Mm. uh the finance area that you don't necessarily get when you're doing, you know, income statements and balance sheets. Yeah, that you're not supposed to be creative. Creative accounting is bad. That's a bad, bad thing. Well, well, the, companies like Enron, the, those guys did that. That's bad. That's true. Uh, the creativeness um, that I found in finance led me into, um, luckily, getting involved in mergers and acquisitions. So what was, when you thought of, before you got in there, what did you think yeah. mergers and acquisitions was? I mean, what was your frame of reference? Did you have one? T Boone Pickens. Oh wow! So you yeah. went right there. That's huge. I mean, that's that's yeah, not. I read a book from him, and I actually read one on, um, you know, Art of the Deal. Oh yeah. You know, by Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So those were some older books that kind of got my thinking started, and it sounded fun. Did it sound fun to be an acquirer or a seller? What was what was more attractive to you? The acquirer part. Ah. Okay. Ah. So finding a jewel recognizing the value in it and then negotiating the best deal. That's attractive to you. 
Yes, and all the, all the steps that led up to the deal closing and, and after that. You know, I heard somebody say something this morning, um, a very successful man, uh, somebody else's, it was a Joe Rogan podcast, and the guy was talking about how he met this old guy who would trade places with him for a second and give up all the money that he accumulated just because he would like to go through the process again. So when you said that, that's very connected for me because I think I think it, we do have to pause for a second and recognize that we're going through one of the most incredible times in history, and you and I are knee-deep in it right now. Anybody listening to this, you have access to some of the coolest times to be alive because the barrier for you to be in business now, Dean, for yourself, it's gone, right? Correct. I mean, yeah, yes. there's time or there's money, but even if you don't have either one of those, you could still figure a way to be in this business. That didn't exist for your parents, I guess, unless they were a service person or maybe they were a carpenter or an artist or something like that. But then they just traded time for money. Correct. Where today, so process was important for you then or attractive to you then. Would you say that that's still important to you? Process is everything for me. Hmm. Yeah, you and I were in Chicago. No, where were we? In Atlanta. We've been Atlanta. in Chicago together, but the, yes. we were in Atlanta recently. We were talking about that, that you've really put effort and energy into figuring out process. Yes. And you say that that's one of the biggest gains that you've had in your business. That's still, when you think about it, the biggest catapult? Yes, um, because process means efficiency to me. If you, I mean, there's, yes, there's some things that you can, you know, automate and repeat um, because you want to, you want to keep your error rates as low as possible, but being able to automate, especially like in, in my case, my average ASP is on the lower end. Mm -hmm. So in order to keep costs down, I have to keep all the labor that's put into each unit at the lowest possible. And the best way to do that is to find ways of automating, and you need a good process to be able to do that. You know, thinking back, remember I, I was an accountant, and I can relate to the you had to couldn't go anywhere for clothes. I couldn't go on vacation end of right. month forever. I mean, that was just the way it was. It was except, and, and I did it for twenty or thirty years, so I, I get it, right? But right. we also used to do time studies. I was just talking to somebody about that. We used to literally stand there with a little stopwatch when we were doing manufacturing, and we would literally time each step of that process. And we would fill out these little, back then it was manual, we'd fill out these little tickets, and then somebody would put it together and then look at efficiency and all that kind of jazz. Every one of the, but we're doing that now. Now today it's automated. But every one of those things, I always call them touch points, right? And so... Have you gotten to the place where you just think of everything as a touch point? Because I know you do a lot of merchant fulfill or, or FBA fulfill yourself prepping. Um, have you thought about it that way? Is that the way your mind works? It, it is because um, we do do these uh, benchmark studies is what I would call them. I, I don't know if you use the same term, but it, we just do it in Excel. So for prepping, for example, there might be certain units that are higher volume units for us. And we will do a time study and it's not going to be to the second, but we'll just say, okay, start time is this minute and end times this minute. How many, how many did you bag in that, you know, in that time frame? and our poly, you know, are the poly bags where you're doing a heat sealer, you know, more efficient, or is it just easier to use the, the resealable bags? And so what have you learned from that? Cause I think this is, this is to me, when, when you read E-Myth, this is working on your business. When you've got the, when you've got the big picture going, right, moving, and it's never right. polished, 
But when you want to get down into the margins, this is where you make margin, right? This, this little stuff, and everybody say, oh, you got to stay in the big picture. You know, don't, you know, don't, uh, don't miss the forest through the trees. But the, this, this is where the profit is made. When you start right. getting into this level, that efficiency when you get there. And at some point, it's not worth it. If the person's going to be there for half an hour and you got 10 minutes worth of work and you're paying them for half an hour, different story. But when you're paying, especially the volume of people, how many SKUs do you have? I, I think people need perspective. Well, right now, we, after the um, removals, um, we have 2,800 active SKUs that are on Amazon right uh, now. Prior to the removal? Um, a little over 4,500. And at one point, what was your peak? Probably 6,000. 6,000. And these are small, smaller items. And so... Smaller. Correct. Yeah. And so you're talking, I mean, <laughs> just a lot of small poly bags. I fair. I don't want to, I don't want to give away anything, but um, yeah. to me, that's almost, you know, I mean, cause you grab a handful and you might have 12 different SKUs if you're not careful, right? If you don't pay attention to that stuff, that can get away from you very quickly, can it? Right. And that's where part of the process comes in. I mean, our, our invo the invoices we get from our vendors We've actually worked it out with um, a couple of the vendors. Well, they were will actually put our internal SKU on the invoice. So when you go to check stuff in, you know, when my employees do that, it makes it a lot easier. So how how did that conversation go? I mean, were you with them from a long period of time, or if you do bring a new uh, account on, is that part of the conversation up front? Hey, could you just could you do this for us? Other vendors do this for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know when I learned that, but very early on, I would always just have a very comfortable conversation to the point like you and I are having right now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just a matter of here's your products and what can I buy them for, but what else can what what else have you done for your other clients that you might be able to do for me? Ooh. Whether it's you know um, discounts, whether it's you know some places that if you buy a case pack, um, you have to find out what that quantity is going to be so that you get the discounted price? Or what if I hit a certain volume for the year? Or do I have to order a certain volume per line item? You know, just try to get as much information up front before you establish the relationship. And then I then I usually have some backup questions that I wait till I've established the relationship and not necessarily push them for more, but just try to develop the relationship so that they know I have more of an interest in them than just buying product. Well, well give us an example of what a, uh, you already did of the previous questions. Now give us an answer, uh, one example of what you would ask later on. Maybe it would be the inventory question, I guess. Um, I, it would probably be uh, outside of getting terms with a, with a vendor, which is, you know, like net 30. Mm -hmm. um, I would want to know if there's anything that they can do. Let's say pictures. Do they have images that are available? Okay. okay. Because that's not something every vendor has um, the ability to do. And if they do that, do they do them in-house? So if I want to do, let's say, a bundle, can they do the bundle image for oh, me? Oh, wow. That's a great idea. Yeah. When, when you talk to that vendor, do you also then say, hey, I know you're selling to 10 other Amazon, eBay sellers, whatever. If I do this bundle, would you let me just do the bundle? I haven't tried that, but um, the whole topic of exclusives, exclusives has come up. And I do have um, something worked out with one of my vendors. When they get new items in, I am part of a smaller group that will get first dibs on it. And they even send me free samples in some cases. I think that's so powerful. And that's a great way 
for a company that just doesn't know how to figure it out and doesn't want to hurt the relationships with others, just say, okay, yeah, let's do a smaller buying group. And so there's four of us. You could trust four of us. And right. you know, here's my store name, that kind of thing. Um, I had a gentleman on a um, previous episode, and he talked about, you know, uh, the vendor would actually call him and say, hey, we're going to split this four ways. Do you want in? And he said, I had an opportunity to buy one or the whole thing. And he said that was very cool to get to that level of relationship. But even just right. to be able to get to buy one when there's only four is a big opportunity. True. Another thing I established with one of the vendors is um, for a while, I it would take three, four business days before they'd ship to me. And I said, you know, that's causing me a little bit of a challenge just in terms of workflow. Is there anything that you could do, you know, even if I have to pay to speed up the process? And they said, you know what, we'll just put you on priority shipping. We haven't done that. And I was like, well, what's that? They said, well, generally, you send us the invoice, and because of the volume you do, we just prioritize your order ahead of the other you know, customers. I was like, that's very helpful. And that, so now I generally get one business day shipping. At no extra cost. At no extra cost. And so, and you didn't throw it in their face, hey, I'm your number one customer. Listen here. I'm looking no. elsewhere. No. Not my style. Not my style. But that, that's just so important because I just had this conversation with someone else um, where it was, hey, look, you know, why won't, you know, you know, I'm doing you a favor by selling your stuff. Well, guess what? Those days are gone. Now they have an opportunity to sell it themselves, for God's sake, if they want to. That's, so that, that's absolutely true. You have to really work that relationship. Have you been able to take the relationships with any of your accounts further than just a transaction? I mean, meaning meet them at a trade show, uh, have lunch or dinner with them or anything like that? Um, yes, um, I do have three different vendors that I've met with in person. Uh, one of them, I'm probably going to go actually fly out there and and meet with them. And, um, the, the, you know... In, in one case, I have a, a, a designated sales rep, so and that's per, for a particular area. So we have a pretty good relationship, and we email each other every day. And it's very it's, most of it's personal. Um, I do know, yeah, and I do know the owners of my larger vendor, um, and they started out of a garage. You know, they've been around for like over thirty years. They carry probably thirty to fifty thousand SKUs altogether. Wow. Yeah. It's you know, and they're a distributor manufacturer, so a lot of the stuff they do with their own name, and uh, so we've known each other for many years. And it, here's the interesting thing: the first time I called them up, they would not do business with me. Uh, how did it go? I mean, what was it? Hey, I'm Dean, and I want to sell your stuff. You know, I I think they tried to profile me, and they just weren't interested. They they, a matter of fact, whoever I talked to, I didn't even feel was very nice. And something came up about a year later, and I tried again because I don't believe, you know, I don't, no today doesn't mean no tomorrow. Right, right. It, everything's changing. I don't care right. what it is. Everything yeah. changes, especially in right. a year. <laughs> right, exactly. And so what happened? So you went back a year later. You can't drop yeah, it there, buddy. You got to go back, deeper. back a year later, and um, they, their minimum at the time wasn't really that big, and um, I just placed an order. Like an so, assumptive close, they used to call yeah, that, right? And, that was it. <laughs> hey, yeah, and, I'm buying. And the, the good thing at that particular time, um, uh, I was very motivated and I was very willing to take on a lot of new items. I believe that taking on the new items was the way to go for a while. 
So I ramped up the number of items, and every, every month I was buying another 100 new SKUs. So that is a pro tip right there. So it's, it's almost an investment. Even if it didn't make you money and you had to you know, liquidate it, whatever, in the long run, that got you in the door, right? Yes. And I think that's a very smart, smart thing. How much money are we talking about to break the ice, was it? Oh, um, I think at the time the opening order was like $1,000. Mm-hmm. And then the repeats, I don't, I think they had really low repeat orders, but, um, at the time it was really that, you know, if you're doing like, you know, creating a lot of your own listings from scratch, that's a lot tougher than, you know, when there's already an existing listing. So we created a lot of the listings, you know, and then a lot of people piggybacked on them. So you brought, you basically opened a whole new market for them. I mean, in that, in that scenario, and so that's win-win, right? So you win, they win. Now, unfortunately, as you said, others come on that listing. That's right. one of the limits. Or do you run into, because you, you, a lot of what you sell gets sold in retail, do you run in a lot now that the smaller retailers are also coming online? Um, that's a good question. Uh, not so much. I mean, in our space, which is uh, mostly crafts, uh, I would say Joanne is a decent competitor online, and uh, Dick Blake does do a little bit um, in some of the items that I've seen. On but Amazon? Not, on, on, well, just online in general. I don't yeah. know so much on Amazon. I, I don't know that I've seen Joanne, but maybe some of the small you know, brick-and-mortar stores – but not, I don't think the big players are really um, a big deal to us. There are certain types of items that we sell. It's not a specific SKU, but we might sell this one type of item. Let's say that another brand, uh, which is Doris, um, is a competitor of ours. We don't we don't sell them because they're in a lot of the uh, brick and mortar stores, so a lot of the big box stores. I, I heard that from somebody else. That was a really smart advice. It's like, look, stay away from the lower end, especially in the craft items. You know, yeah. stay away from that lower stuff. If you could buy it at Walmart, that's a sign. There's a sign, right? A Bill Ingvall thing. Here's your sign. It's a clue. Do not buy it because that stuff is pennies. I learned that lesson in costumes. Uh, remember costume? I went somewhere and I bought huge quantities costumes once a year they're worth money any other time you can buy them two for a buck and these right. are costumes that sell for sixty dollars but off season two for a buck and i'm like right. really uh note to sell for an inventory yeah. yeah note to self don't buy them so you know i still have a bunch of anybody needs a costume um okay so so there's a there's another good tip so that relationship that thousand dollars not saying not hearing no the second time making an assumptive close because you know the other thing i think and tell me if this is your experience too is they now understand online so much better one year i mean just think of what you've learned in a year right in our world one year is like 10 years and their world they're hearing every day i could buy it cheaper on amazon i can buy it cheaper on amazon i can buy it right every day they're hearing that stuff. And so they're learning more and more. And so they're much more open. They realize they have to be in the biggest online marketplace no matter what. That is true. And and last year I met with um, the sales rep and I met with – there's actually a few owners in this company and they're all related. And uh, But one of the owners, we had a longer conversation about Amazon because it affects them, you know, a, you know in, in my space, which is – I would say beating and crafts, um, there are a lot of brick and mortar stores. And a lot of those people don't understand why, you know, certain companies would be selling to the people that sell only on Amazon. 
So they have to be able to explain that. And um, a lot of the conversation was whether or not, you know, that they would consider going and selling direct. And I, and they realized that if they started doing that, all the all the retailers would have a problem with that. But the other conversation was people selling directly to Amazon. And, you know, that was a question for me because I see some of the products and I know somehow Amazon's getting those products. And, um, but it's, you know, that, that particular company um, said it wasn't them. So I still have to, in my mind, wonder, you know, how are they getting it? So they're selling it to, I mean, you know how that works, right? I mean, we, you and I both are personal friends with uh, somebody who lives near you that sells direct to Amazon. And so you get, you're familiar with the distributor level pricing. Yep. So yep. they get distributor level pricing and then they mark it up a little bit and then they sell it to Amazon. Amazon has no fees for themselves, right? And Correct. so they could then, you know, uh, sell it at cost even, which is, you know, just a little, it's still probably not even half, not even wholesale level. And still, even if they sold it at wholesale level, they'd still probably make a little bit of money. But right. then, you know, they have some fees that they assign to it. So, I mean, that's what happens. And However, this is my experience with that. I think it's short-lived. Um, I don't think, I think it's, they do it to fill the catalog. And then once you fill in that catalog, they leave because it's just not worth chasing. There's so it's, many products. Yeah. To a certain extent, I agree with you because I do notice that they'll, they'll be on a listing. And um, like, like, for example, I use Restock Pro for replenishment. Mm-hmm. And there's actually an alert that tells you if Amazon's on the listing. And there's many times where they're on it and all of a sudden they disappear. Right. So I have a feeling some of that, from what I understand, is if you sell directly to Amazon and you get a price increase on the cost from your vendor, um, Amazon will not pay that increase. So then you have to make a choice whether or not you want to eat that cost differential or stop selling them. Well, the other big hassle is Amazon makes you take the returns. They do all these different things. Most vendors that I've talked with have not had a good experience other than that they write big checks. And right. there was one guy, it was a shoe company or whatever. He's like, Steve, they give me 7 million bucks. That's how I stay in business. Can you do that? You can have it. They're gone. Give me 7 million bucks. I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> Never yeah. mind. Next booth, right? But it's, it's fair. I get it. Because, you know, the one thing that you would probably say, I know you would, cash flows, one of the biggest challenges of this business, right? It's not finding stuff to sell. There's plenty of stuff to sell. It's managing cash flow. And in your case, inventory with so many SKUs. Well, guess right. what? Those, those manufacturers are having the same issues, cash flows, right? Think about it. If you got terms from them, they, let's say they may had it made in China, right? They had to put uh, a percentage down, and then usually when it ships, um, when it's received, they got to pay the rest of it. Now, they are out all that money. In the meantime, they had all their R&D that they spent all the money, all the marketing, all those other dollars. Then they bring it and they sell it at a trade show or however they sell it through the catalog or whatever. There's huge costs with that. They sell it to you. It takes a while for you to buy. You buy and you get terms. So now they're sitting on no. How long has it been since they put their first nickel out till they see a dime back? That's true. You know, It's very true. And here's the interesting thing in my industry. Um, and I've heard this from not just one sales rep for the company or the bigger one, because uh, one of my bigger ones is more into beads. And then I have another one that is in the tools and then I have a few others, but those are the two bigger ones. But the bead company, so they bring in stuff, let's say, from Czechoslovakia, okay? And um, what happens is they bring this stuff in. They, they, the sales reps try to introduce it to the brick-and-mortar stores, but the brick-and-mortar stores on the 
on them for the most part, they have no interest in buying these new products. Because they're sitting on a whole I, store full of inventory, right? Um, yeah, they're sitting on a whole store of inventory and they only have so much space. So a little bit of the way that they get the stores is some kind of display packaging, you know, to you know present the whole because a lot of times they'll bring in a series of beads, but there might be 200 colors. So ideally, they want the store to buy all the colors or as many as possible. So they'll do a sample. They'll put them on a display or something. But what if they bring all this stuff in and nobody, none of the retailers want to buy it? So they do have to find ways of getting it out there. Uh, okay. And that was part of the other, you know, when I met with them last year, um, we talked about that. So I'm doing things, um, working with, uh, you know, my VA to help automate the listing process so we can work with the vendor and establish a, a stronger relationship. One of the other things, and this is uh, a similar, this is connected to that. Another way you can add value is contextual photos, because let's face it, on Amazon, that's what's missing on most listings, right? They have a picture. It's a great white background photo, and there's nothing showing you how you use it. Well, we all know that that's the way you improve sales, right? People want to see it. Oh, yes, it's a, I'm going to give an example. I don't want to give away anybody's products. Um, it's a, it's so hard because I know everybody's products. It's a chair. Yeah. Here's a chair. Okay. They want to see somebody sitting at it at a table or a desk, depending on what it is. That gives you the appearance. You could see what it looks like with other colors and you want to have that kind of thing, that contextual photo, right? That so people can know what it is. Well, so we do that because we sell a particular product and we have we take our own pictures anyway. And so we'll actually share them backwards with them. And then they use them in their catalogs or on their website to sell to other vendors, retailers, not Amazon sellers, but to other retailers. It doesn't cost me a dime. We're already doing it. But from a relationship point of view, we get to add value to them. Yeah, that's huge. Especially since... You know, we're current because we're selling to the most current people, the online sellers who are, you know, popular and, and you got to only only opportunity we have to sell to them is through visual or written word. It's not like we can try and have a salesman there selling right and making the pitch. And so the picture is so important. They use them and it's pretty cool when you see your pictures in their stuff and it's like, oh, that's awesome. And then when you see them, it's a different conversation because how many Amazon sellers are doing that for their vendors? Very, very, very few. Very, very few. Hmm. All right. So how did you decide that you were going to get into this Amazon world? I mean, here you are in finance at that point when we last got on that subject. You had not – because did you do actuarial work too? Well, from the idea of finance, um, I, ha I had a few jobs in my 20s and 30s. You know, nothing that really interested me. Um, right about the time we got married, my wife and I, um, which we just celebrated 20 years. Oh, that's um, awesome. Congrats. Love it. Thank you. So, uh, I started working for Abbott labs as a temp, uh, contract work, and they were going to offer me a job. I wasn't really thrilled. And I got this offer from a company called ADP, the payroll company. Yeah. And they said they had a four week gig. So that at the end it was over and they said, but you're going to do mergers and acquisitions. Well, all they had to know was Excel. That's what they told me. And for someone that doesn't have a degree in finance that did not work, you know, one of the investment banking firms, uh, to get a, any type of job in M&A is pretty much impossible. And uh, so here I am freshly married and I'm taking a job with only four weeks exposure. Well, that 
turned out to be uh, it turned out to be eight weeks. They gave me overtime because the guy that was running the department didn't really have time to see me during the day. Wanted me to stay a couple hours every single day afterwards and then come in an hour too early. So it turned out I was making some pretty good money back then. And then they they offered me a job and I got involved in corporate strategy and in business finance, you know, in terms of the mergers and acquisitions, doing the due diligence, doing in uh, working with the other target companies for integrations. So, wow, it was a fascinating job and I got to work with some very interesting people. Hmm. I think the more you get exposed to different companies, different people, that's when it gets interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you'll be like, ooh, that one excites me more than anyone else. Ooh, I should pursue something in there. Did you deal with anyone that was into uh, e-commerce in any way in your your experiences? I did. They, um, they, uh, the corporate, at a corporate level, because I worked for one division with ADP. It was uh, in the car dealer area. Uh, they sold software turnkey systems to car dealers. But um, the corporate ADP, um, it gave our division about $2 million to work on developing a website, which actually turned into the car part. I think they sold it out to Yahoo um, a couple of years later. It, it actually didn't really do really well for us in terms of the amount invested versus, you know, what we got back. But, it, you know, I got to be friendly with the guy that did that and um, who was the product manager. But also I learned about uh, process, the, the process that he used, the process that we were using for uh, mergers and acquisitions. And that's what I found fascinating, because if you have the right process, you can do more. And so for you, that was everything. We have already been down this road talking yes. about this. Yeah. This this clicks a whole bunch of uh, boxes for you, right? This checks, ooh, that's me, that's me. Yes, yeah. Is it a personality trait when you think about it um, that you have? Have you thought about that? You know, I, I have thought about it because if, you, if you're on Facebook and you, you see people starting out, most of the people that I'm finding that have questions – they're trying to figure out what to sell. And that's never really been an issue for me. Um, it's always been about best practices. And if I'm doing something a certain way, what can I do to improve it? Well, wait, wait, don't go. Don't leave that. Yeah. Why do you think that? I mean, what do you think that that gives you? Advantage. I mean, it has to be an advantage, right? What do you think that that gives you? Because as you said, you already chose your lane. Right. So that once you get rid of that, now you're, what, what do you think that that does for you, what you just described? Well, I, I've always kind of looked at it as, as an efficiency thing, and you're lowering your cost per product, per unit sold. So, so for you, it gives you profit in this case that you could use for other things to invest in other things, right? Because it's, if you're most likely, most of your products are probably map, um, which is good, right? Is that, is yeah, that fair? It's not all. It's some of them. It's really not as much as you think. But, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So then, well, then that makes a difference. And then that's yeah. the answer. Okay. So because if it was all map, then the only thing it could do is produce more profits. And that's great. I mean, don't get me wrong. Of course, you're there right. to make a profit. But if you were taking that profit and then investing it in other things to help advance, it's almost like, a, 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 oh, was it Peter? Um, Peter calls it a flywheel. It's almost like a flywheel, yeah. right? You know, and, and you're just accelerating um, and accelerating. Peter Kern says that. Yes. Um, 
and so so I'm thinking about that. But in your case, it might also give you an advantage to be able to lower the price and therefore get more sales. Yes, either profit or lower the price. Yes, I, and I can give you a good example, and it's it's kind of a silly example, but. So years ago, I had this guy working for me, and, and um, very smart guy. And um, I remember that I told him he had to go find something that we sold, and they it was like in a box. And there were probably 30 or 40 different things in that box. There was no order to that box. Now, that's not the typical way I would normally keep things, but in this particular case, that's what he had to go through. He spent 30 minutes going through this thing, trying to find the item that we sold that was probably $10. And I'm like, we can't do things this way. We have, we have to have a better way. And I knew that location numbers were the way to go. And I spent time researching, you know, best practices and warehousing and, you know, location numbers and the best way to do it. And we were able to automate that process to the point where we could do, you know, I could probably do 60 orders in like a 20 minute time in terms of picking, you know, small items, picking them off the shelf packing them up and labeling them. I could do it very fast because we built a good system. This is Merchant Fulfilled. This was, yeah, when we were doing more Merchant Fulfilled, we would be up to two, 300 orders on a Monday. No kidding. Yeah. So, well, in that scenario, you have to be efficient. There's no, mm-hmm. the, there's no other option. Now, how much of your business now is FBA? About 90... How hard was that transition? I mean, you probably fought it for the longest time. Oh, no, Steve, you don't understand. I'm the best packer. I can pull, like you said, I can pull 60, no problem. I'm quick. I'm this. How hard was it for you to transition? Be honest. For me, it was very hard. It was for a different reason. I didn't want to learn FBA. You know, I, I, I think I was about 49 at the time, 50. And I didn't want to spend all this time learning about the process and uh, all the different rules and how to how to pack it right and how to box it up and how to send it in because it was very different because in, in order to do it right, you'd, I didn't want to co-mingle because everyone had told me that that was bad. So um, starting at Ecom Chicago, the first one, that was when people started putting it in my head that this was something that I should do, needed to do, and had to do. So I just I just was open-minded, and I listened a little bit to you know everybody from Chris Green when I first got there um, as to why I had to be you know doing FBA to a variety of other people that were already my friends that said that that was probably the best way to, for me to go. Um, and one point I do need to bring up is that right around that time, um, in my category, they had switched from the 15% to the $1 minimum. So since a lot of my items were literally under $7, Merchant Fulfilled, um, they, there was no reason to sell those on Amazon anymore because of the $1 minimum. And um, it was a very frustrating time for me um, when they came up with that pricing. And there was about a three-day period where I just had to think about what I was going to do. I shut all my listings down. And came up with a mathematical formula to overcome that $1. So I repriced all my items to account for that. Hmm. But um, it still didn't generate. The, the revenue drop-off just was too great between that and the shift to FBA. And I had to be open-minded to it. When looking back, would you say that that is another pivot point in your business? Another one of those, uh, you know, 
points of that your business went a different direction and it turns out it was the right choice? I mean, thinking back, like, do you know what I mean? So you were forced to kind of make some of these choices yeah, anyway. I, part, of, part, so, part of it, I was forced. And yes, right. it was a, a tremendous pivot point. Um, I also started doing more networking at the time. But it was scary. And, it had to be it, scary. It was very scary. Very scary. Hmm. Yeah. And I, uh, I, at the time, I was already going to, uh, we, we have a monthly uh, group um, in Chicago that started out as a very small group. Uh, that uh, were, you know, it was an eBay sellers group that it kind of, became more of an e-commerce group. But a lot of those people are, are hardcore eBay, and a lot of more people were starting to get an Amazon and talking more about FBA at the time. But a lot of people were still hesitant to take that leap. But you did. And, and to me, I, I, they always say success leaves clues, right? And so by getting around those other people with, that you have confidence in, when they say, Dean, trust me, this is going to work, blah, 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 that's what makes the difference. People like a Mark Levine or a Rich Syak, right. you know, those kind of people. Right. And so, again, we're back to this conversation. And this is, I think, everybody who listens to the show is going to say the same thing, Steve. This happens in every call. It's your network is your net worth. Right. It's true. And, and, and Mark Levine's a good example because I was, I was afraid of prepping. So I literally boxed up a few things, you know, drove out. I called Mark in advance. I said, can he make a little time for me? And we were just becoming friends then. So it's still a new relationship. And here, here's a person that just took his time. And uh, I showed him the different items. And we, he went through his different supplies and showed me what would work with those items. And that in itself really took a lot of the fear of doing it, you know, away. And then, you know, various Facebook groups um, like Amazon, you know, beginning, you know, Amazon for Beginners and ScanPower at the time, all were very helpful in, you know, answering a question here or there. And so, and, and those, and, you know, the rules were the barrier to entry for me. Yeah. Oh, we're back to these rules because you're yeah. a rule breaker. You don't like rules. Yeah. You don't want to be put in a box. No, I don't. <laughs> hmm. And this is very rigid. I mean, let's face it. There's no gray area in theory. I mean, I know they right. choose to enforce certain rules, depends on the day, depends on who you get. But generally speaking, it's one way to do it, right or wrong. There's no gray area. So True. that's tough for you, dude. Yeah, but then, I, you know, I have people that do most of the work. You know, I automate okay. the process so that um, the biggest challenge for Well, me is that easier for you then? Wait, I don't want to lose that. Yeah. That's easier. So, so wait, this might be a big moment here. Hold on. Okay. Yeah. When you are that type of person who can't fit in a box, who likes to break the rules... Just hire somebody who can follow the rules. It, well, if, if they follow the rules, they're also a little more organized because yeah. I, I have ADHD. And what happens is I kind of make a mess of things. And I don't mean like, I mean literally a mess. So things will be all over the place. And I think the people that work for me do a much better job of checking in all the items from start to finish. What happens with my mind is I'm, I'm trying to do six different things while I'm checking everything in. So they could do that. They could do all the prepping. They do all the distribution. They they get, you know, box everything up. Um, my son just started working for me. He's 19. So he when we get an invoice from the vendor, he'll take everything and add it to the uh, the new shipping plan. So that makes my life easier. And it kind of it's kind of like getting a promotion. 
Yeah. When you have people that work for you, you could do the more creative stuff for, in the business and be working in the business than on the business or on the business instead of in the business. And that, that is definitely your forte. I mean, we've, we've already established that, hence the reason, you know, finance versus accounting. Exactly. And so working to your strengths and hiring your weaknesses is the best. I mean, I know we're going to sit there and say, duh, but I, I just have not heard anybody say that that way when they are you know, I mean, uh, quite frankly, in our world, there's a lot of people that are ADHD, seems like, because right. they're jumping around, they're just hyper, and they're, you know, and then make sure they hire that level person for that operations. Oh, love it, love it, love it, love it. When you think about your skill sets, then, that you bring to the table now, what, what, what are they different than what you thought they were? What, I mean, what's, what's easy for you? Do you get what I mean? Yeah, that's actually an excellent question. <laughs> you know, I, I think over time that's changed a little bit. Um, I found that early on, I when I first started, I only had about 30 SKUs. Um, we we focused on, my, my wife was making hair bows at the time. She started making them for my daughter, and she was buying the parts at Walmart. And I started sourcing some stuff while I was still in the corporate world. And I kept sourcing better, sourcing better. And I found that eBay was a great way to, you know, sell. And, but my skill set at the time, once we got started, was to grow the SKUs. And all that busy work, you know, uh, I found was not the best thing for me to be working on. Because um, while it grows the business and you're adding SKUs, I, didn't I, I felt that I lost some creativity. And when I started doing the FBA and doing all the steps of FBA and I was prepping in the beginning, I found that I was losing some of my creativity. Oh. So now I, I like to be able to think outside the box. I like to be able to plan ahead. And so by not tying yourself down. And so your day, you might have one or two things scheduled. The rest of it is open. You never know what you're going to be working on, but you're always working on it. Very observant, yes. That's cool. And so for you, I mean, and, and, and I'm here to tell you is that a couple of years ago, Dean and I had breakfast a couple of years ago. Right. And yeah. it wasn't going so well. But I just saw you a couple months ago, and it's night and day different. And so yes. to me, it's a very cool, it's just so cool that I get to see that, you know, to get to, you know, have breakfast, have a, you know, have these conversations, have a little teeny piece of that world to see it and then to see you figure it out it's just like it's so rewarding for me um as a seller just to see other people be successful it's very cool um and to me what you just described i think is a whole bunch of people's problems they're so busy sourcing 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 everything steve you gotta source you gotta source right. you know not so sure you got to take and maximize what you get from your current sources. Then I would argue sourcing is everything, right? Um, I mean, do you feel like you've maximized every opportunity with every product you sell? No. Not even close. No. Not even close. Nobody does. No, because and, you, 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 there's so many different components for each item that you need to work on. You have to be able to source. You have to be able to get the listing where Amazon likes it. You have to be able to replenish, reprice. And now with this whole thing that they're doing with inventory, you know, the IPI, the inventory performance index, you need to spend and invest more time in the items that are already there. So you have to work on all those pieces for each individual SKU that you work on until you start adding more items. So it's not go wide anymore in, in when you get to the wholesale level or private label, it's more go deep. RA, it's different. And I understand that. And yeah. I, I don't want to 
go there because I just don't think it's it's it is apples and oranges when you're talking about this side of the business, right? Because that's fast turns, turn it, turn it, burn it, doesn't matter right. what you sell, it doesn't matter. I sell everything. Okay, great. But when you're in this world of wholesale, um, it used to be that it's key is volume, Steve. I'm a wholesale seller. Volumes everything. I've got to have a lot of SKUs. I've got. I mean, I've had guys on the show five thousand SKUs. 6,000 SKUs, not little beads. We're talking, you know, right. uh, anything from flashlights to water bottles to scissors. I'm looking at my desk. Um, that's not the plan anymore with this inventory management, is it? Unless you're, unless you got a big staff. Yeah, you would need a big staff for that, yeah. Hmm. So when you look at where you're going, how, how clear are the clouds for you now? I know what they were three years ago. How clear are they now? Um, actually, a little less clear. I, I you know, I, I, uh, I was more multi-channel. I am not so much right now, but thinking of doing it, um, I'm looking to probably bring in either an operations manager or d maybe develop a relationship with somebody else. Oh, yeah. Well, no, wait. All right. So we all know what an operations manager is, and that would definitely fill in the stuff that you're not good at. Yeah, just because like, it's, yeah, basically fire myself. You're not interested in it. Let's say that. Not that you're not good at it. You're just not interested in it. That's, I want to manage the high-level pieces. I want to look at the metrics and see where we're going and then be able to delegate the parts that you know I'm not so good at or I don't want to do or feel that I shouldn't have to do. All right. What would it look like in the other scenario that you described? Okay, so I probably wouldn't spend as much time on purchasing replenishment because that's a very significant amount of my time. I would do, work more with the, uh, the vendors that I have, developing relationships, and I would travel more like that person we were talking about that lives by me and uh, establish more relationships. So it's really because, a, a partnership, and that person, the other person would handle that other side of the business. Similar. Yep, yep, that would probably be something of interest to me, yep. And when you think about what that person would look like, what would they look like for you? Because I think that's well, a reasonable I, question, right? I mean, because you, you're a type, you're type A. Yeah. Are they a type A? I, and I, we'll talk about that uh, group of Eddie and Greg. What blew me away about both of them, they're both type A's. Yeah. It blows me away because I would think one's, you know, less, uh, you know, less in charge than the other. No way. <laughs> I don't right. know how they, they both are very strong, smart personalities, very right. both capable of everything. I mean, they're like outliers, both. And that's right. very rare to see a couple make it work, but they do. Right. And it's cool. Right. And it, and it probably happened over time. You know, you yeah. probably have to define roles and stuff like that. And um, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of people work for me, but it's usually, you know, um, people that are not going to be looking to make a lot of money. And most of it, everyone I've had is part timers. So it's never really uh, been a challenge for me to find anyone, but over time, the skill sets that you require and the skill sets that you need for an operations manager, you also have to know the direction you're going too, yeah. because if you're doing if you're doing FBA, you really need someone that understands FBA. If, and right now, we're actually switching a little bit back to MF because of the cost of doing the uh, inventory performance index. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of items that I just don't want to put um, at FBA. You know, I don't need to have a five or seven dollar item there. I, I got to go higher. But you own um, them, and so you got to do we, something we, with them. And we still own them, and we have to do something with them. And, okay. and then a lot of the stuff came back in good condition. And believe it or not, a lot of the stuff's already back there because uh, it met the criteria for sending it back. But um, it was still a lot of work. 
So I had to develop, you know, a little bit of a short-term strategy to decide, you know, what we're going to do. And there's definitely some items that, you know, we compete with on Amazon, extremely low rank, like under maybe even a thousand on some of them. And I still feel we should sell them. We should have them available because there's going to be a time where they do sell. And when they do sell, they're going to sell in volume. So I still want to have a, some of those items, but it's, uh, you got to redo things a little. You have to redo your facility. You have to um, have space to uh, process orders where right now we might be doing only FBA. You might have to have a split shift where maybe you do FBA operations for a period of time and then you go back and do your MF operations later in the day. And then there's multi-channel. So you have to have somebody that could, you know, that is able to um, make adjustments quickly, you know, and is willing to learn rather than somebody that learns a certain amount of rules and then is only able to stay with those rules and not change on a dime. Show me what steps next. That's it. I'm only going to do this. Pick this up, move it here. Pick this up, move it here. You don't want that. No, we don't want that. Hmm. You know, what's cool to me, though, is you are working on your business. I mean, I'm listening to you. Anybody else listening is saying the same thing. What you just described is working on your business. You're adjusting. You're pivoting. You're. Yeah. Re, I, I think you use this tool. You're retooling your business. Right. I think that is so smart. Um, and I just think, you know, I think this is where my mind goes. I think back to these companies that became war companies when the world wars were happening. You know, you think about some of the toy companies and then all of a sudden they were making cannons and then they go back to making toys, right? right. They retooled their plants so they could employ and take care of their country or whatever. You're doing the same thing on a smaller scale. Hence the reason, Dean, you're having success. Success leaves clues, dude. And you're not saying, you're not fighting the system saying, they're changing the rules on me. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm just going to go get a job. No, you're retooling your business as their business because the changes they're making, they're not making them to say, ooh, let's get even with Dean today. Let's screw Dean, right? It's their business is changing and they've got to look for themselves. That's not unreasonable. Right. <laughs> Very cool. Dude. I, I hear a lot of that's going on in China too. Um, that there's a lot of places, you know, people that I know that were buying from there and complete factories are doing, you know, they'll be doing one thing one day and then com something completely different. And they, they they still keep the building, but they'll retool the, everything. They'll have new equipment and every different I have thing. two examples there. I, I did interview somebody who has a staff in China, and he said the only way I can keep them is I have to pay them more because they'll take the whole staff, we'll just go and work in a different company making brooms. Or whoever has the most money gets this whole staff. They literally go together, and they'll lose his whole staff, so he has to pay attention. Another example were drones. Uh, Andy and I were talking about this. Um, there were, at one time were several hundred Chinese companies making drones. Now there are like five. Hmm. And it's, it's just incredible. What, what did those companies do? They retooled, and they make other products. Because right. I think the thing that, at least I hope people hear this, you have a set of skills. You have developed a very specific set of skills. And now for you to tweak and adjust, whether it's multi-channel fulfill or merchant fulfilled versus FBA, it doesn't matter. Split shift, second shift, you're describing a way of taking the assets that you have created, these intangible assets, these skills, and just re reallocating and readjusting. That's Damn. true. Very, very cool, my friend. And then with the employees that you have, um, I guess you'd call this a tip, is you have to cross-train everyone that works for you. 
because people have to be able to step in if somebody is not available. And then people that are cross-training, you know, they feel um, uh, more reliable to you. And over time, if things change, like I have somebody that's been with me since before FBA, and uh, what is going to happen is we might have to go back to Merchant Fulfilled a little bit, but she already has the skills that, mm. you know, I don't have to retrain her. She already knows how to do it. Well, the other thing, too, is that they also, when you know what the next person in your, in your you know, the next person in line it needs, you're going to prepare it better for them. Because you did that job and you're like, oh, man, this will make their job easier. Uh, okay. And so it improves all the way around when you do get people rotating, when they know that, hey, Dean's going to handle this next and he needs it turned this way. And then that way it'll make it easier for him to do his job. People usually think that way. And then it's cool for them, you know, relationship wise. So, right. dude, I'm pumped. I'm pumped for you because you inspire me. I mean, it, it, people hear this. He went from 6,000 items to 4,800 items to 2,800 items, all while readjusting, all while expanding because your business has expanded. And yep. yet, and yet now you're getting ready to retool again. So I think that's the lesson. This is not a set it and forget it business, period. It's not. Nope. And that's part of the excitement is that you're not set it and forget it. Now, the nope. unfortunate part for you is there are rules, Dean. Um, sorry about that. Yeah, hey, that's all right. Let's do this. I think people, if they have more questions, because especially because you're a process guy, what's the best way that somebody can get in touch with you if they want to follow up on anything we talked um, about? Well, I mean, I'm on Facebook, so um, you can okay. get me there. Um, I can give you my email address. And I don't I, give out your email address. Never no. give out your email address. Okay. You'll be in yeah. a million lists. Facebook contacts would be best. Okay. Um, and then I'll, I'll put it on the on the link. It just... You'll get you'll get a million people scraping it, and then you know you'll get all the those oh, weird things. Yeah, you don't want to do all that, right. dude. I'm very pumped. So the best thing that we do at the end of this uh, these episodes is I always look for uh, a meaningful process improvement. Um, it's a way to move people forward, and I think you've given a bunch of tips. Yes. But think back to when you were struggling. What was that one thing that pushed you over that tipping point, as Malcolm Gladwell will call it? Right. It's that point where. It just because you could go either way, but this helped you turn to the right direction. So, what, 30 days into doing FBA, um, I only had, I think, 30 SKUs on there. I saw the power of FBA. And what I couldn't figure out was how do I order from my vendor and keep track of what's at Amazon, what's inbound, what's coming in for my, my vendor, and the fact that I was ordering three times a week. So I went out and searched for something that would help me automate this process that I was now doing in Excel and was extremely time consuming. And I found this uh, Restock Pro, which is a replenishment software. Um, I know other people will use stuff like Skew Vault or Forecastly, but any tool that helps with the replenishment process, I find is helpful because it, it narrows the gap of the outages. And that creates um, an increase in velocity or turnover or whatever you want to call it. And, and that's driven the business. I mean, it was significant increases. I was having 20, 30% monthly, month over month growth. And even even this year, I mean, we expect to be 50% ahead of last year. That's, I mean, I don't, I don't know how that's comparing for others because I know a lot of other people are having good years, but 50% growth for us in small items is huge. That's phenomenal. And, and what, what's beautiful about that is it, that is a set it and forget it other than seasonality. Seasonality, yes. you have to, that's a different math, yeah, right? That's, true. that's different. 
but generally it is a set it and forget it type of model. Yes. And that, uh, that gives you the ability to work again on these other things. Oh, dude, love it, love it, love it. You, uh, I'm, I'm so excited to see where you were, where you are, and then hear the enthusiasm in your voice. Yes, you know, here's, a, here's one more little observation. While you describe that your, the clouds aren't clear for you, I don't hear panic in your voice. I don't hear crisis. I hear I'm figuring it out and I'm going to try some different things. Where three years ago, to be honest, let's be candid, yeah. there was a little bit of panic in your voice. Yeah, oh, I'm sure there was, yeah. But you put your head down and did the work. Oh, love it. My friend, thank you so much. I wish you nothing but success. Take care. Thank you so much for your time. Bye. What a great guy. Great story. Um, you heard his, his growth at the end. Um, that's an optimist. And what's cool to me, again, is that he wouldn't have been that guy three years ago. And if you listen to the last couple interviews, you understand this is a long road. This is not, there are, there are outliers that come in and knock it out of the park. Man, I don't want to downplay them. They're outliers. They probably would do that if they went to learn how to ski. They'd be automatically up on the board. They're that type of people. And I'm not. So when I look to myself, I talk to people like me, I think, who I'm not an outlier. Not, never have been. Um, but I'm willing to do the work. And to me, when you look at it as a long game and you're looking to build something long-term, something that you could, you know, bank your future on, um, I think Dean is a great example of what you got to do. His adjustment, his repivoting, his retooling, I love that term, retooling his existing business is a very healthy thing for you to do. Look inward and swallow hard and make turns. Doesn't, it's not the end. It's just the beginning. EcommerceMomentum.com, EcommerceMomentum.com. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Ecommerce Momentum Podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at EcommerceMomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and like us on iTunes.